Welcome to the Grit to Greatness podcast. Thanks for tuning in and making your choice to win. This is the show where we not only motivate and inspire, we give you tactical strategies to implement on your way to greatness. And now, here's your host, Chuck Farmer. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Grit to Greatness. Very excited about today's episode. I guess I say that every week, but I'm always excited about these podcasts. Got two, not one, but two very special guests today. It's going to be a great one. You're going to be very happy that you listened in. First of all, I do want to give everybody an update. I mentioned last week about my Spartan race. We had a great weekend in Austin, Texas this past weekend. I ran a super, which is ended up being about seven miles. <clears throat> it was a great race. Uh, some hills, a lot of rocks. Um, it was just a great fun event, had 30 obstacles and I really did well. I uh, came in right under two hours, which is actually my goal. I did my sprint a couple weeks ago, an hour and one minute. I wanted to be able to do the super in less than two hours. I did like one hour and 59 minutes and change. Worked out really good. I did, however, have a small injury um, at one of the hanging events. And there was quite a few hanging events this week. Um, I guess my right arm was tired of holding my big body up and strain my bicep a little bit. I might have to have that checked out and that, that may hurt me for a few races, but that's what happens when you step out of your comfort zone. When you get out of the comfort zone and you do new things and you try new things, there's gonna be some, some things that happen. There's gonna be a little bit of pain and agony, but you know what? It's well worth it. Wouldn't trade it for anything. And so just remember that. We need to get out of our comfort zone and have fun, but sometimes guys, things happen. That just shows you're out doing things and having a blast. So. Really enjoyed it. Great weekend. I'll give you updates as we go along. But let's move on. Like I said, I have two very special guests, two great friends, two great mentors, and two guys that have a whole lot going on. So we'll get jumped right in. First of all, they are the co-founders of Growth 10. And they tell me about that. And they do a lot of coaching and training. And then second of all, they have a podcast that they've started about one of my favorite TV shows. It kind of uh, comes right off that in the Shark Tank. And then they have a book coming out real soon. Um, I think it's Joe's like fifth or sixth book. I don't know, Tom, I don't know, maybe two or three books, um, but it's Mr. Joe Buzello and Tom Healy. Boy, you guys have got a lot going on, so I appreciate you spending the time with me today and our listeners. No problem, Chuck. Can I give uh, your listeners an update on my exercise this weekend? <laughs> sure, sure yeah. yeah. So on Saturday morning, I walked from my couch uh, to my garden uh, it took me 27 seconds, a new record. I watered my tomatoes, which I use for my Italian red sauce every Sunday night. And I walked back to the house, 26 seconds, broke my previous record. But I had an injury when I got back to the couch. I stubbed my toe on the ottoman, so I had to lay on the couch the rest of the day. <laughs> so you guys both got out of your comfort zone this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, bro. So that's one thing that's going to be great today. We have the banter between Joe and Tom. They're like an old married couple, so you'll get to see that and listen to that as we go along. Thanks, Joe. How about you, Tom? Oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'll tell you what, I am great. I, I appreciate you having us on here. Uh, we're, we're excited about this. So you, you told us, you're like, I want to talk about the entrepreneurial mindset. Right. And uh, it's a very easy topic for us because, as you said, we've, interviewed over 60 entrepreneurs that were actually featured on Shark Tank pitching their business to the sharks. In addition, we work with hundreds of entrepreneurs inside the Growth 10 community. So we have really gotten a good understanding of why certain people thrive as entrepreneurs. And you're exactly right. It's, it's a mindset it's a way of looking at the world and it's a certain demeanor and certain actions that they all seem to have, Chuck. Yeah, it's amazing the commonality that you can put together. And so that's what I was excited about to do with you guys today is who better to share with us some things you're seeing uh, in common. So, but real quick, let me tell a quick story, a funny story too. Uh, I love Shark Tank. And I was just watching it last night because I taped it from the weekend, watching it last night. And it's one of those shows, Tom, where I yell at the TV. I don't know about you guys, but I yell at the TV during Shark Tank. It starts with their offer. I'm always like, when they come in and say, I want a million dollars for 2%, I'm yelling at them already saying, if you never watch the show, you're going to get 
crushed. You're going to get crushed beyond belief. What, what are you doing? If you've never watched the show. And then it's when somebody's offered them a million dollars for 30% of their business and they're negotiating down to 29%, you know, and, and Mark Cuban's sitting there and you're like, come on, just take the offer. Let's move on. So I, I don't know if what you do is more annoying to your significant other than what I do. Uh, but what I do is I pause the television. I look over at my wife and then I just give her some diatribe <laughs> as to what they're doing wrong, what they should do differently. So it, it, I hit pause and then there's this groan and then she just kind of looks at me and goes, what? And then I have to give my, you know, breakdown and then I, I resume playing it. So I no longer yell over it. I just pause it. So it takes us about an hour and a half to watch an episode. Exactly. Yep. I love it. My yeah. wife is a big uh, Shark Tank fan. And there have been days over the last two months where we did three or four tapings of our Outside the Tank episode, which means we needed to watch four or five episodes of Shark Tank. So the theme song starts to drive me crazy. (laughs) And so when I come to bed, she tapes Shark Tank just like you do, and she puts it on. And I roll over and try to put the pillow over her face until I could find the remote to put Shark Tank on mute so I could go to sleep because I can't hear that theme song one more time. Yeah, I bet. So you guys have, have talked to all these guys, and man, I'm sure it's been something, and there's a lot of stories. So for our listeners, what we want to do today is talk about, you may not be a company owner. You may not have started a business, but you can be benefit from an entrepreneurial mindset, no matter what your position is. And so today, we want to kind of have you thinking about how can these characteristics that they're about to share with you benefit me in my position and or as I move towards the future? Maybe you do want to start a business down the road or maybe you want a new position. How can these mindsets help you in that area? So um, they've got a list I want them to share with you. So once you guys kind of start off and give us something that you found as a commonality between these entrepreneurs. Well, Chuck, you bring up a great point, which is you don't have to own a company and have your name on the side of the building to have this mindset, to practice these principles, because yes, they're applicable if you own a business, but they're applicable if you're a leader inside of an organization, or you're thinking about creating a business on the side that you want to eventually do full-time. These are just really good skills to have, but if you want to lead, if you want to guide an organization, if you want to take ownership over something that you're involved with, whether it's your HOA or a side business or a department inside of your organization, whatever it might be, you got to have these things. And when we talk to all those entrepreneurs on Shark Tank, one of the biggest things that we hear is I will only hire people that have an entrepreneurial mindset and do these things. So if you're purely an employee that says, look, I want to work for an awesome company, understand that really savvy, growth-minded, great entrepreneurs are looking for people that have this mindset and practice these things. So you, you prompted us, you said, we're talking entrepreneurial mindset. So Joe and I, and again, I mean, our, our sample size is hundreds, if not thousands at this point of entrepreneurs. And we just jotted down a handful of things that that we wanted to share with everyone listening. The first thing is ownership. And ownership means that I'm going to identify a problem. I'm going to solve a problem. I'm not going to wait for other people to tell me what the problem is. I'm just going to truly take ownership over something and I'm going to make something happen. So entrepreneurial mindset is to really look for problems to solve. And Joe, one of the things that I know we heard recently that has really rung true, and I try to really challenge people on this, is being a little bit different in the solution is not enough. You need to be 10 times different. So when you're looking for a problem to solve, it can't be, oh, we're 10 cents cheaper, or oh, we're a little bit different. You got to be way different way better to really stick out in the crowd. Yeah, and I think that's true for an entrepreneur building a brand. I think it's also true for an intrapreneur, someone inside of a business who wants to grow their career, uh, move up the food chain. 
you have to, I call it building a moat around yourself. You have to build a moat around yourself and be just a, uh, not just a little bit different, but very different. And I think that uh, when we, yeah, so many of the people we talked to have said, you know, now when I interview, I ask a number of questions, an inventory of questions that gets me very, very close to determining whether this person will take personal ownership of their role inside the business. Yeah, because it's tough to scale a business when everyone is waiting for something to happen. I'm waiting to be told what to do. I'm waiting for someone else to help me with that problem. And if people are sitting around and waiting and being reactive, it's tough to really get a lot of strong performances out of those types of people. So the great entrepreneurs we talk to are looking for people that own whatever they're doing, do not wait, but are proactively trying to get better, make the things around them better, solve problems, and take ownership versus just sitting back and waiting. Oh, and we've had several, I'll throw this in as well. We've had several um, really ultra successful entrepreneurs tell us that they also like to hire people that are nice people, that know how to communicate well and treat others well. It's very uh, critical in their business to the extent that after every interview, one of the, the gentlemen we uh, uh, interviewed, after every interview that he does, he goes out to his receptionist and he asks, how was Mike? Was Mike nice to you? Did he talk to you? Did he treat you with respect? And that becomes a very important bellwether of whether uh, he in, uh, invites that person back for a second interview. So sometimes just the nice factor, being a nice person, being a respectful person, a person that treats everyone well. Uh, and so I, I said uh, to him, so if someone treats your uh, gatekeeper receptionist like crap, you don't hire that person regardless of their resume. He said, no, I don't. I don't uh, hire. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great stuff already. If we just ended the podcast right here, people could take yep. away from this already. The ownership part, as an employee, if you take ownership, you're not the kind of person that says, that's not my job, but instead you take ownership your leaders will notice that and you will grow with the company. It's just that simple. Those people that take ownership and not just their position, but others. I'm thinking about when I was started as a cook at Cracker Barrel, I took ownership and wanted to grow uh, the company as well as myself. That's a big one. I really think that's a tremendous. And then being nice, you guys on a roll. Let's keep it going. What's next? Another big one is being a visionary. And that entrepreneurial mindset is being able to see into the future. So whatever you're trying to build, whatever you're trying to create, whatever problem you're trying to solve, whatever that is, you can see it, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can smell it, and it's really, really big and really, really clear. But you have to have the ability to see into the future and know what that is. And along the way, when there's challenges and there's issues and people tell you it's a bad idea, you need to be so clear on what that is that you're just focused on the end game. So visionary is really important. In our book, Entrepreneurial Landmines, we talk about one of the great landmines or mistakes and a mistake that some business owners will make is they go into the venture without a clear vision, we call it an end game, not having that clear end game in mind. But don't miss what Tom said. Tom said it's, it's, it's not just critical or just important to have a clear vision in mind. He, he started to go down this road. We must then be able to articulate it well, explain it well to the stakeholders on our team. In fact, I'll go another level. You must be able, you must be able have to be able to sell it to the team you've got to get them enrolled i love to use that word you've got to enroll them in that vision so great great leaders even great middle managers if you're not a leader of your division if you're a middle manager you still have to have an end game for your team your division your business unit you have to articulate it well you have to sell it well i love that and i think tom you mentioned this i think if you take this vision to people and everybody says yeah okay it's probably not big enough. You got to have those visions that are just so big that people are just like, that's crazy. That's too big. I, I like to think of them as BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals or massive visions. For example, if you'd have come to me and said, hey, Chuck, 
I've got this new app. I want to put together an app where people, instead of going to a motel, they'll stay at your house and they will pay you money to stay at your house and you will let them stay at your house. You'll just leave and they'll stay at your house. I'd have told you, you were just insane. There's no way people would let other people just stay at their house and pay them on their vacation and stuff. And yet here it is. That's just a massive big deal these days. It's changed the real estate market. Yeah, I mean, most, most people with an entrepreneurial mindset, everyone else looks at them like they're insane. Yep. And, 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 you know, growing up, I think everyone wanted to fit in. Everyone wanted to be like everyone else. And when you grow up, you realize that many of the most successful, important, uh, you know, biggest thinkers in this world are really different, really awkward, never fit in. Most people thought they were absolutely insane. So it's okay for you to say something that people think is absolutely crazy. It doesn't mean it's a bad idea. I think of the, uh, the comedian, uh, uh, Miniscalco, and he says, uh, just imagine the first guy to think about uh, the Uber concept. Uh, who would have thought 10 years ago if someone came up to you and said, some guy is going to pull up in a dark Camry. Uh, his name is going to be Gigek, and he's going to open the door and say, get in, and he'll already have your credit card. Yeah. Uh, who would, so, I mean, it, it's, to me, this is about, um, and you use the word uncomfortable, to me, this is about getting uncomfortable, almost giggling at your own vision. And I think that Tom and I giggle when we look at spreadsheets and our projections and where we're going to take our company. It makes us smile. It makes us laugh. There's a giddiness. And if you get there, you're in the right place. If it seems too logical or too reasonable, you're absolutely right, Chuck. You're not dreaming big enough. I love it. Okay. What's no, that's time? the great thing about projections, too, is, you know, I'll be sitting next to Joe all day. He'll be driving me nuts. But I look at those numbers and it just, you know, keeps me focused and coming back for another day. You, no, you, decide, you decide it's worth putting up with Joe if those numbers come to fruition. That's exactly right. It, got, it was all worth it. He's yeah. got to put up with me. I eat when I'm here, I eat four meals a day here and another two at home. So he's, he's got to put up with a lot of feeding breaks. <laughs> and that's when I'm able to get awarded. Yeah. Get all right. Now. What's the next step? Ready for the next one. So, and, and I'm not a chess player. And I mean, if you've been around Joe, you know, he isn't either. Because he's really <laughs> smart to play that game. <laughs> I said that right as he was taking a, a drink or something. I wanted to see if he'd spit it up. And he didn't, but he's choking. Well, so hold, that's it, good. hold it. Hold it. I got a C. I barely graduated high school. I got a C minus in English. I've written three more books than you. And you so read two. <laughs> so, <laughs> another one is you know, you got to be a strategist. And again, I'm not a chess player, but you know, chess, you're thinking of like your future moves. Right. And I'm like, well, that's entrepreneurship, right? That's what you're doing. You've got this vision. You've got this crazy idea of what you want to do. Now it's how in the heck do you get there? Okay. So what do you do? And you can't just say, okay, today I'm going to do this. And then tomorrow I'll figure out what's next. I mean, you need to really be a strategist and say, okay, we're going to do this then we're going to do that. If that doesn't work, then we're going to pivot to this. And it ends up being this crazy web of, you know, arrows and lines and it, it's not simple. And so I, I you know, you've got to be able to think five, 10, 20 steps ahead. And we're going to do this so that we do that so that it leads to this. And if it doesn't lead to this, we'll pivot to that. Joe, agree, disagree. Yeah. Success, your success uh, will not be linear. Um, some people refer to this as second level or third level thinking, if I do this, then this will happen and I'll have to respond in kind. And I think it's critical to be thinking about your business while you're working. Don't stop working. We work, we fail forward. We, and I want to talk about moving too slowly. We see that all the time. Is that on your list? It's on the list. See, I, I actually saw your list. So I wanted to steal that one from you. <laughs> But I love, uh, I love, again, what I love about where you guys are going is obviously you can really think about this as an entrepreneur, an owner, but also hourly employees, uh, salaried employees, uh, salespeople that have a, a team of people. They can do, they can be strategists in whatever their position is. Yeah, it's and not I, something I, that has to be. The biggest thing is you can't just react. I mean, if all you're ever doing is reacting to what's happening, 
it's going to, you're never going to move forward, right? So it's about what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do next month? And if what I think I'm going to do next month doesn't work, what's my plan B, my plan C, and my plan D? Well, let's take the commission salesperson. Uh, and some of us have been commissioned salespeople, myself included, and others listening to this podcast for years and years. So I'm preaching to the choir. Basically all either of us have ever done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when you're, when you're selling, at least when I was selling, I would, I would sell. I would have a result. I, w- I wouldn't call it a failure. It was a, it was a metric result. But then I take those metrics, I take that data and I'd analyze it at the end of the day after I was done working. I wouldn't stop working. I would work, I would collect that data and I'd make tweaks and pivots based on that data. Yeah, I love that. Another one of my shows is Restaurant Impossible. I love that show and I was watching it last night when I got back. There's a lady on there, she's half a million dollars in debt, had this restaurant and she kept telling Chef Irvine, but I've never failed at anything. I've never failed anything. I was yelling at the screen again, Tom saying that's, she had this pride about I've never failed. I wanted to yell at her and say, I've failed thousands of times. That's how you be successful is by failing and learning from failing and doing new things, making pivots as you go. It's not this big picture, oh, I just can't fail. You want to fail as you grow and, and develop new strategies. Well, and that's, a, and that's a good segue to the next one, which is entrepreneurial mindset is all about moving really, really fast learning really, really fast and embracing feedback. So I want to gather as much information as I can. And we don't gather a lot of information or data by sitting around and moving slowly. So you got to move fast. And as you're moving fast, you got to learn really fast. And as you're learning really fast, you got to gather as much feedback and as much data as possible. And then you have to have really thick skin because if people are giving you actual true feedback, some of it's not going to be, oh, you're amazing. You're great. You're wonderful. It's going to be if you thought about this or why don't you do this or I don't like this. And so, you know, it's all about moving as fast as you possibly can, listening and watching everything that's happening around you, gathering that data and that feedback, embracing it, and then being willing to pivot as quickly as possible. I was having uh, breakfast yesterday with a mentor of mine. Hadn't seen him in a few months. And he said, so what's going on with Growth 10? And I gave him some metrics. I gave him an update. He just looks at me. He goes, we just talked about this a few months ago. How's that possible? And I said, we move really, really fast. And we learn really, really fast. Because plenty of our assumptions have been wrong. Plenty of our decisions have been wrong. But we're just gathering so much information and moving at warp speed. And that's just really important. I, I, I just, I've never seen an entrepreneur move really, really slowly and accomplish really big things. No, and I, and I think that there's, that there's a, a tendency to when something isn't working to throw on the brakes. And I get that, I understand that, but we work through situations. We believe that momentum is our friend in business. So we continue to work and instead of throwing on the brakes and saying, well, this isn't working, now we're lost and we're at a dead end or a fork in the road, we will take one of those forks, we'll keep moving down that road, we'll make things happen and we'll get back on that main road, that super highway, hopefully. But the one thing that, that we make a practice of is almost every day at the end of the day, we might do this formally or informally, but we'll say, how did it, we'll ask the question, how did it go today? What did we learn today? And I think that's the operative phrase. What did we learn today? What can we use from today? You ask that question out loud. I mean, you actually say it out loud. <laughs> especially after bad days yeah you'll say what did we learn today what did we learn and we'll have a discussion <laughs> about it we don't hide from it we don't ignore no. it we just deal with it and, and make whatever adjustments we need to you can put your it. you can put your head in the sand but then you're just you're you're just a moron and you're uh, not speak it i hate to say that but if you put your head in the sand and ignore uh lessons uh, it's, it's, that's just not very bright. But the people that do that are the ones that then act surprised when they fail 
well, I can't believe we ran out of money. Well, because you had your head in the sand, you didn't pivot, you didn't accept feedback, you weren't paying attention to what was happening around you. You ignored it all until the bank finally said, you're done, yep. right? They were, they were unwilling to make change. You know, I, I talk about change in three levels. You, uh, you uh, adapt, you start when change is happening, you adapt, you make other small changes, and then you adopt philosophically, you ad adopt paradigms, and then you can truly evolve with the market around you. And I think people in certain industries, the insurance industry that you and I have both been in, real estate industry, I see realtors now uh, pulling their hair out because they, you know, there's no inventory to sell. I was talking to my sister who's a realtor the other day. She goes, I've got four buyers. I've got no houses for them. And I said, well, what are you doing um, to strategize around that? Are you, have you worked harder in the listing arena? She goes, no, I haven't put any time. I said, well, wouldn't that be a great little shift for you to make a paradigm? So people are sometimes afraid to make change. They stay on that same dimly lit road. They never get on the super and, and it's because, and the, and the key word you said there was adapt. And it's because people have that initial vision. And look, I love visions. I love big, exciting visions, but they change. And people think that their initial vision, the first thing they set out to do, the way they thought it was all going to shake out, it's in concrete, right? It like it's in stone. It, that is what it is. And I'm not going to deviate from it. Well, guess what? You need to be flexible. And I look at visions as a moving target more than, hey, they're, they're definitive. And people, what they want to create, what they envision their product or service being, they think that that's it. So this is my niche, uh, or this is how I'm approaching the real estate industry. So they just fall in love with that And idea. they fall in love with it, and then they don't deviate from it. And, and in reality, they're missing something that's far better because they're too focused. We say this a lot inside of every business. There's a slightly better business, and you every just have time, to find it. Every time. I mean, if you really look at the origin stories of so many great companies and so many successful people, what they thought they were going to do might have been in the ballpark, but oh, I tweaked. Oh, instead of B2B, I went B2C. Oh, instead of going uh, into big box, I went direct to consumer. Instead of uh, you know having retail locations, I sold off my website. It's like, yeah, it's the same product, but that's a radically different strategy. And they pivoted, they adapted, and they took off. And you just, you can't be so in love with your initial you know, view of what you think the business is going to be when it grows up. I was reading the story of Norton Simon the other day. He has, obviously, he was once one of the wealthiest men in America, lived in the Los Angeles area. And in the 40s, he came across this fledgling company that he bought for pennies on a dollar. And it was a orange, a citrus uh, packaging, juicing and packaging plant. And it was doing okay, but he, there, as the story goes, they transitioned to other vegetables. And the rest of the story is it became Hunt Foods and uh, <laughs> sold for a bazillion dollars. So his pivot was, well, the infrastructure's here and people want these other vegetable juices, so why don't I pivot? Well, Hunt Foods and they sold the ConAgra for a zillion dollars. So it's that pivoting. It's inside of every business, there's a better business. Inside of every salesperson's career, there's a better career. There's a better way to sell, a better way to market, a better way to position your product. And we just have to find it. And I think we find it because we think on it. Now we don't stop working. We think and analyze while we're working that those two are not separate from each other. Well, I think when we are able to take a step back from the pandemic and we're able to really analyze everything that happened, the winners, whether we're talking companies or solopreneurs or employees, the winners are going to have pivoted and adjusted and kept moving forward. And the losers are gonna be the ones that were so set in their ways or sat back and waited. And it's just true. I mean, people have reinvented themselves. Businesses have reinvented the way they do business. So, you know, I hate to be, uh, you know, direct or a bit cruel, but did you pivot and reinvent or did you sit solitary waiting to see what would happen? I love All it. Right. Did, I tell you, did I tell you listeners or what? All you got to do with these two is throw a topic at them and let them go. Um, they're a blast. They've got a lot of great information that comes right out. So I appreciate it. So 
Um, we've got a couple more points to get, so let's move on to the next one, Tom. So, Joe, uh, let me ask you something. When, when someone says to us, I got to think about it, how does that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> because our next one is uh, entrepreneurs are decisive. Make a decision. So moving really, really slow is the same as being wrong. So you move fast, <laughs> make a decision, move on, make a decision, move on. It's okay if you make the wrong decision, but when you sit still and you wait and you move really, really slowly, it's the same as making the wrong decision because nothing's happening. So elaborate on how you feel when people can't make a decision and why that's so bad in business. I want to crawl through the, uh, my laptop, through the, the camera. Uh, into the into the Zoom realm and find them and strangle them and beat some sense into them. All kidding aside, it, it's frustrating because I am a decision maker. I'll ask more questions, um, but I won't say things like, oh, that's very interesting. That's intriguing. That's uh, You've given me a lot to think about. Um, I, I had a mentor back in the 80s. He's a very interesting guy. I actually wrote a book and had a character in the book that was based on him. The book was Drawing Circles. It was a novel. It was a fictionalized uh, story of some very real events. But this uh, mentor was like no other I had in my career. He was very, very strong. Uh, you would have loved him, Chuck. He was, uh, he was a guy that refused to quit. Uh, so that's what I loved about him. But he would say to me, you never make, and I want you to make a note on this, listeners, if you have a yellow pad or something to take a note with, you never make a right decision. You make a decision and then you work like heck to make it right, which means you might change, you might pivot, but you make a decision based on the best information you have in front of you and you move forward quickly. So you never make a right decision. And I never forgot this. It was one of those uh, great seminal moments where I heard something that I knew I could use because I was, I lacked confidence in myself. I was 21 years old when I learned this. It was 1982. You never make a right decision. You make a decision and then you work like heck to make it right. Wow, that's great stuff. I mean, you got to move quickly, make the decision and move on. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's okay to make wrong decisions. We make them all the time. But if you move fast, you can make a bunch of wrong decisions. You have a massive margin of error. If you move really, really slowly and plot along and can't make a decision, your margin of error shrinks to almost nothing. And why would you want to put yourself in a position where you have to be right 95% of the time to be successful? I will say these guys, I've been honored to partner with them in a coaching business. And I've been partnered with them for what? I don't know, three or four months. And we have a manual for our coaches. And I think we're already on version 5.2. Um, they're, they're, they move quick. They find out what they did wrong or what they want to do better. They make adjustments and they move on. You know, I, and I, I, I'm half kidding and I'm half serious. We'll probably write a book about this when it's all said and done because <laughs> the amount that we've learned and the experiences that we've had. But I mean, we were changing that every month because we're learning every month. We're learning how to do this work at a higher level. We're learning how to build incredible groups, how to build a great community, how to retain those members. And, you know, we're, we're not smart, but we are working hard. We are listening and, and we're, we're trying to adapt as quickly as possible. I love it. You got another point to share with us? So I got one more and I don't have a better term for this, but I think that's okay because I like this term. The entrepreneurial mindset You've got to be a culture junkie. And what I mean by that is you have to obsess over culture. So if you want the culture to be hardworking, then you got to work hard. If you want it to be fast moving, then you got to move fast. And if we're talking about yourself, then you have to be what you want to project yourself as. If you want to be seen as a hard worker, work hard. If you want to be seen as helping others, help others. So at an individual level, you know, the culture of who you want to be, what you want to be, how you want to be seen by others, you got to embody that. That's easy though, because that's just you. But when we talk culture of an organization, and, and Joe and I are very big on this, we talk about 
How do we want others to see us? How do we want to be viewed? And, you know, we keep thinking about, well, we want to do the right thing. We want to be fair. We want to be seen as being as helpful as possible. We want to listen really, really well. We want to do whatever we can to support the people around us. We want people that are very, very nice, that have integrity, that love working with entrepreneurs, that are doing it for the right reasons. And there's a lot of other things, but you get the idea. So that's the culture we want to create. Well, how do we create that culture? By doing it. So when someone asks us for something, we immediately respond and we give them a great response. And when someone gives us feedback, we listen. And if it's a good idea and we think it can help the business, we immediately implement it. And we're constantly trying to do the things that we want our culture to be and it's so important to do that because you talk to these great entrepreneurs and the ones that were in our growth tank community, the ones that we're interviewing on our outside the tank podcast, they obsess over culture, Chuck. They are so focused on what they want their organization to be. And there's variations of those cultures and there's no right or wrong, but they know what it is. They write it on the wall. They only hire people that align with it. They constantly remind their team of it. They share it with their customers. They are just obsessed with the culture they want to create. A couple thoughts here. First and foremost, I come from a place where I want to get into the front door of the pearly gates. I don't want to slide in the back door or go to the, the hot place. So I'm very careful about being, and Tom is very careful about being uh, completely honest uh, completely ethical in all of our transactions, our conversations, and I think that's critically important for as a baseline, a, a foundational fundamental for creating great organization and great culture. But I also want to say that I've had the, I'd say the, the, the blessing of having over the years two legacy sales organizations or teams. And in both cases, both of those teams grew very, very large. And it would have been very easy for me to just rely on the strength or the, the size of the organization to muscle numbers, quote unquote. That's what corporate America would have you do. Just muscle the numbers, just make the numbers work. And in both cases, once, once when I was younger and once when I was a little older and wiser, in both cases, I realized I was building a very large but also fragile organization. It's, it's easy for an organization to lose uh, faith and for, the, uh, for trust to be eroded if you do something wrong. So I was very careful to do everything right. But also I realized you don't muscle numbers. You care for people and they create great results for you. So those organizational leaders out there, when you're thinking about your organization, if you have 10 people, if you have 1,000 people, uh, you can't muscle the numbers. You have to actually give a crap about people first and foremost for you, have, for you to build something large and be able to sustain it. Awesome. I mean, we could literally speak for days and we could do a series of podcasts on culture and how important culture is and give all the examples. And just real quick, an example, I think that many people think about if you're in the restaurant industry, you think about a restaurant, it's Chick-fil-A and the culture they've built and how the customers can feel the culture that's inside of that business. And then another example would be, would be sports teams and how we talk about how such and such team, the Tennessee Titans back when we were really good and how they, they worked hard, they were hard workers, they were gritty and that was kind of their culture. And so the people they brought onto the team, they fit that mold. And so I think this cannot be overemphasized, Tom and Joe. Well, you, you walk into any in and out burger, okay? And, and you look around, you're like, well, that was faster, it was better. They were nicer, they were more polite the order came out perfectly in front. How's that possible? What's well, possible because they've created a culture that's so strong that it's replicated at every single location perfectly. You know, and, and I, how do you replicate that? Because it's just so strong and tangible and you can feel it and experience it. You know, another, you, you talk sports. I, I love the example of uh, Michael Jordan with those 90s Bulls team that have, you know, come back in a flavor now because of the last dance. And, you know, were they that much better than everyone else? They, they actually weren't, okay? But what did they do? Well, they practiced. Then they practiced after practice. And they didn't, I mean, you couldn't screw around. 
And that culture was so strong that the role players on that team, it was the best they ever played in their career. Maybe they were scared of Jordan. Maybe they were (laughs) motivated by him. But whatever they did, it got the best out of everyone, and they won at a ridiculously high level. And even the one guy that may not show up to practice, at the very least, he would show up to the game and leave his heart and soul out on the court. Obviously, I'm talking about the yeah. worm, Dennis Rodman. But yeah. everyone, when that when that buzzer rang, they put everything out on the court, which I believe is a beautiful thing. And that's what these companies do that you know that we admire and that that we think are are some of the best and brightest out there. Is they're just able to create this culture where Chuck, I don't care if it's frontline minimum wage or somebody in the C-suite every person that organization will run through a damn wall for the company because they care that much. And it's just, it's all culture, but it is all about really saying what you're about, what you want to be, how you want to be perceived, how you want to treat people and then doing it. And all over it, takes, and over it all it takes is one person, in the organization to not give a crap, or have a bad hair day, and it really causes a ripple effect. Good example is yesterday. We have one of the banks we deal with. They had a product we were interested in. Um, we set up a phone conversation. The young lady got on the phone, and she couldn't have been, she's probably a nice person, but she couldn't have been less informed and less interested in helping us. How long did it take for me to end the call? It, it was very, very quickly. Under Tom, three minutes? Tom said, you know what? Tom said, no offense. It's not on you. This isn't, you know, we're not scheduling another call. We're not going to talk to someone else. Thank you very much. No problem. You, you know, you've been very kind and we ended the call and I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but now my, my paradigm, my perception of that company is they don't train people well. Some of their employees don't care or don't have the right information. To me, one, you know, one touch point in your organization can really cause a ripple effect. So everyone, in, in my way of thinking, everyone in business needs to bring their A game uh, to game time every day of the week. You can't have a bad day. And think about the difference in you know two people that both make the exact same amount. One of them is just going through the motions, not taking ownership, really doesn't care about the performance of the organization. And someone else that is bought into the culture, living the culture, taking ownership, wants to see the company succeed. Think about the difference because Chuck, it's not twice the performance over the course of a year. It's 10, maybe even 20 times the performance. So if you have a great culture, you might get 10 times the performance out of someone than your competitor who has a lousy culture for the exact same amount. Oh, and you're probably going to retain them longer as well. That's right. And think about again, for those listeners of ours that they are the employee, maybe their company, Joe and Tom, doesn't have a great culture. That doesn't mean you can't create your own culture within yourself. What are your beliefs? You're going to be that person that separates from everybody else and has that brand. We talk a lot about brand, but you can have your own personal culture. Or if you have a team of salespeople, what's the culture within your team? If you do have a business, what's your culture? We could talk about this all day. Great stuff. So you've given us some really great points. Seven, as a matter of fact, um, as we close this out, can you guys kind of summarize that for us? We always like to give our listeners a few very specific things they can do on their journey to greatness. Can you guys kind of boil it down for us and give us kind of your highlights of what we can do uh, to be entrepreneurs in our mindset? So I'll, I'll give you mine. And then if this is like it usually is around here, Joe's going to say, oh, I wrote down the exact same ones. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> actually, I don't know. Are you going to come up with your I'm own? Like, you know what? I'm not going to say yes, another you thing. Impossible. <laughs> you can't, you nope. can't do it. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. You can't be Trust, quiet. No, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be quiet for the rest of this podcast. You're on your own, partner. So, you tell me if I missed anything. Here's, here's what I jotted down. Uh, first of all is really be oriented in solving problems, right? So, what problem can I solve? inside of an organization or somewhere else in the world. And then the other thing I'll add to that is if you're going to solve a problem, you got to be 10 times different. You can't be 
a little cheaper, a little better, a little easier to use because you're not going to be able to get people to shift from what they're already doing. People don't like change. So you got to be radically different. I, I, I'll just give you one word value. Uh, regardless yep. of your role or your position, figure out how to be of more value to the people around you. Exactly what I was thinking. Great stuff. All right, what's next? Second thing is really around this idea of what's the end game? What's the vision? What do we want this to look like? And we always encourage people, Joe, think big. And I got to tell you, that's one of the things I've learned from you is even early on, you know, you kept pushing me on, it's not big enough. Our vision needs to be bigger. We need to get, you know, national. We need to, you know, go online. We need to, you know, be thinking at a much greater scale. And that's something that, you know, I know you're always encouraging entrepreneurs to do is what they think is a big vision. You'll push back and say it's not big enough. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And, and I have to remind myself to think bigger. Um, and it's not only thinking bigger, it's not only having a great vision in mind, you have to be able to articulate it well and sell it to others around you. And you have to do that often. They forget. I love it. And then Chuck, the last one I had is, um, and add anything that I'm missing, Joe, the last one I had that I think is really important and we're very big proponents of is moving fast. I, I just can't emphasize it enough. You know, I, I think, you know, you talk a lot about grit, obviously, Chuck, and 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 I, I, I believe that the three of us are three of the hardest workers out there, and none of us were straight A 4.0, but work, 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 work really hard, work harder than anyone else in the room, and I, and not to not to say that working hard isn't important, but I do think there's a difference in moving fast. So not just putting your head down, but making things happen fast accomplishing different benchmarks, learning fast, adapting fast, you know, moving fast throughout the day, pivoting as quickly as you can, gathering as much information as possible, getting as much feedback as possible. So to me, that's different than just working hard, but it's moving the business along fast. And, and Joe, I know I said this to you one time, but it was after some crazy week we had, you know, 40 Zoom calls, and I'm not exaggerating, it might have been even closer to 50. But I said, we learn more this week than someone else could have learned in 90 days if they weren't moving as fast. So the, the moving fast means that you're learning so much. And what's that over the course of a year? Well, we learned as much in a year as some people may have learned in five years or 10 years. And I'm not patting ourselves in the back. We're not the only entrepreneurs moving fast. What I'm saying, though, is there is so much value in moving ridiculously fast. Why would you take a year to figure out and do what you could do in three months? Why would you take a month to, to make changes, to figure some things out, to pivot, if you could do that in a couple days or a week? So it just makes great sense to us, Chuck, to move quickly, uh, to not be afraid to uh, tweak or pivot or try something different, just condense in time uh, and, you know, uh, I, I forget who to attribute this to, but if you're going to run through hell, run quickly. If you're going to run through a hot place, run quickly. Um, I like to get the pain over with. If we're going to try something, do something, figure something out, how can we get a lot of data points out there that we can analyze? And that's what great business people do. They collect a lot of data quickly. They analyze it. Well, and I think anytime we have an idea and, you know, we don't know if these are good ideas or bad ideas. We are testing them because we think they're good ideas, but we both look at each other and we say, how quickly can we learn if this idea, this approach, this initiative is going to work or not? And if we can learn in days, we will. If we can learn in a week, we will. But we want to learn. We want to test, learn and pivot if necessary as quickly as possible. And so if you're learning things in days as opposed to weeks or months, think about what that looks like over the course of a year. It's massive. And it's no different as you're building your career. How quickly can I learn about our products? How quickly can I learn about the industry? Well, the quicker you move, the more you learn, the, the more lethal you are. The more value you are in the marketplace, in the marketplace, not only to your current employer, 
but other employers. There may be a bidding war for your services. I'm going to say one last thing, Chuck, and then I'm going to shut up. Tom and I outwork everyone around us. We will outwork anyone listening to this podcast. We'll put our money where our mouth is. There's no one that works harder uh, and hopefully smarter, but harder than us two because we're not very smart. I love that. And, I lo and if I could, I would add a B to your move fast, and that is be willing to fail. Because if you're going to move fast, if you pivot, sometimes pivoting, you pivot because you failed or there's something went wrong that you can do better. And so I think a lot of people don't move fast because they're afraid to fail. I've got well, to figure it all has out. Such, failure has such a negative connotation to That's some right. people yes. that I, I hate using that word. I replace that word with result. So you don't have a failure, you have a metric result that then could be an analyzed. So failure, if you're listening to this, I don't, by the way, I don't mind saying, hey, we failed on that one. We goofed on that one, Tom. What a bad decision that was. We That's can right. do that because we have a, a, a our, we're all scarred over. But if right. failure is a bad word, you just replace it with metric result. <laughs> What, and we talked about that earlier, but that's the margin of error. If you move really, really slowly, you, you, you can't be wrong that often. If you move really fast, you can be wrong all the time. <laughs> I love it. Great stuff. Great stuff today. We'll definitely have these guys on again. We will continue this discussion. Um, as you can tell, they're a great group. I look forward to working with you hey, guys so much. hold on a second, Chuck. Do we get paid for this? Uh, yeah, you get paid the same as I do when I do your podcast. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pay you in an In-N-Out burger next time I come to oh. How about that? You, you made me hungry. Uh, In-N-Out burger. In-N-Out burger one night and Whataburger the next night. That'll be our two. Perfect. Great yeah, meals. Yeah. Great choices. So go to growth10.com. Learn about their business. Listen to Beyond the Tank. I mean, great podcast. Outside the, the Tank. Outside the Tank. Yeah. Outside the Tank. And then uh, new books coming out. When is it coming out officially? Is that like this week or? Well, I would say inside of 10 days, we'll be live on Amazon, but we want everyone to have a free copy. Yeah, if you go to OutsideTheTank.com, sign up for the free book. We'll send it to you electronically. We'll send you the audio. We don't want you paying for it. We want you to listen or read it, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. If you're, a, if you're a fan of Chuck Farmer and Grit the Greatness, you get a free book. I like it. Hey, and is, is it Entrepreneurial Landmines? Yes. Okay, great. Great stuff. And... As you listen to the rest of Grit to Greatness, uh, Joe was our guest in episode two, and Tom was our guest in episode four, so you can relook at those uh, episodes of the Grit to Greatness podcast. I appreciate you guys being on today. Um, look forward to next week, and as always, Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Talk to you next week, fans. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit to Greatness. We sure do appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get great updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. We sure do appreciate it. Signing off from the Grit to Great podcast studio. We'll talk to you next time.